Amen, amen, amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, my name is DJ Iverson. I'm associate pastor here at New Vintage Church. I just want to say thank you for joining us, whether you are watching online, whether you're here in person, uh, whether you're dozing off already or you're ready to roll. Uh, we are excited to worship with you. We are in a series called Walking Through Water. And uh, I, I'm excited about this. One, one of the cool themes throughout the Bible is whenever you see water as an integral part of the story, if you look closely, and sometimes you don't have to look that close at all, it's right there in your face, but if you look for it, any story with water in the Bible really is a Genesis story. It's a story of a new life, a new beginning, a new start. And so in this series, we're going to be highlighting uh, some of our favorite stories that come through Scripture involving water. And this is kind of the big one uh, where we get the name from. Today we're going to be talking about the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. So if you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up to Exodus chapter 13. Uh, this story takes place in Exodus 13 and 14. And um, I, I'm excited about this. The, the, the crossing of the Red Sea is one of those pinnacle moments of the Bible. It's one of the major moments. It's one of the uh, moments, in, especially in Israelite history, that kind of defines who the people are. And we're going to get to the story later. The, the, you know the gist of it, hopefully. The, the Israel, our, our Israelites are on the run from the Egyptian army, and they cross the Red Sea in dry land. Uh, what I'd like us today to look, there, there's a million ways that we can look at this story. And this is one of those beautiful stories where every time you read it, I hope you pick up something new. Uh, today we're going to kind of look at this through the lens of what do we learn from this crossing? What, do we, what can we take away? So when the moment comes, when we're standing in the precipice of this difficult situation, of something monumental, that we know what to do. I want to start off with this. I want to start off with, uh, there's, a hand, there's a group of people that I absolutely admire uh, because I'm not one of them. Uh, I'm not part of this group by any means whatsoever, but I have the utmost respect for. Um, they're wired a little differently. Those are my people, first of all. If you're wired a little differently, welcome in. Uh, I love you, accept you, I'm all about you. Uh, but there's a special type of wire differently that I've always respected and admired. Let, let's show the first video here. Uh, the first video, this is Garrett McNamara. Uh, this is the Guinness World Record setting uh, wave that he surfed. Uh, he's going about uh, 60 miles an hour or so there. Um, it's off the coast of Portugal. That's like the equivalent of riding a 10-story building that's moving during an earthquake. It's pretty, like, how many of us are like, yeah, sign me up right now? If your hand is up, uh, we'll have confession time later for lying. <laughs> no, right? Like, like, we look at that, and I, I mean, I have the utmost respect for the guy, right? I mean, that, that's absolutely amazing. He said God's creation to the extreme, and, and he's saying, I'm, I'm going to do what I can to ride this, and he's, he set a world record. Uh, the second video, uh, this is uh, Uli Emanuel. Oh. 
That's him jumping off a mountain. No big deal. Uh, if you look off to the right, you'll see this little six-foot window. Yep. Splat. Oh, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Sign me up. How many guys ready to go right now to the Alps? You're lying. I, I don't believe you at all. Now, that's, like, it's, it's absolutely unbelievable, right? The guy's going about 100 miles an hour through a six-foot gap, and he's wearing pajamas. <laughs> uh, last one. This guy, I, I, okay, the shows are a little rough uh, that he's on, but they're absolutely amazing. Uh, his name's Travis Pastrana. Uh, this was a stunt he did uh, for Red Bull, which is what he's drinking here. That's him. Wake up. Red Bull. Red Bull gives you wings is their slogan. And so he jumps out of a plane without a parachute. Sign me up, right? How many guys? How many guys would just jump out of a plane period with a parachute, right? That number goes significantly down when we take the parachute out of the mix and say, hey, well, yeah, we'll hook up later, right? Like, I, I got to say this. That dude has some great friends. That guy has some great relationships in his life. If you're willing to jump out of a plane without a parachute and your friends say, oh, yeah, we got you. Like, there's some friends that are like, hey, I'll see you at the Padre game. I'm like, I don't even know about that. I'm not jumping out of a plane with you, and I'm definitely not doing it without a parachute. But they, I love these guys. They have these, these momentous moments right there in front of them. They have these momentous events right there. And in order to do what they do, they have to be wired differently. Like, I've always thought that. Like, I, I'm not a heights guy. I don't like heights. So all of these are like, right, like, immediately crossed off, right? And, and so I have to sit and wonder, I say, are these, like, is there, like, some kind of physiological difference in the brain that allows you to do those type of things? And, and science... Uh, after they get past the broken bones and the concussion, science is starting to research these guys a lot more. And, and some of the things that are coming through in the science behind extreme athletes, I think are really helpful for us today. You say, how do we do this? Well, they studied a ton of these extreme athletes, and here's what they found. Here's what they had in common. First of all, Almost all of these extreme athletes, men and women, had built up a tolerance to fear. Meaning, the first stunt isn't jumping out of the plane without the parachute. They've done other things ahead of time. They've practiced. They were the kids that were building ramps in their backyard, etc. Right? They started with the small jump, and the jump got bigger, they started with the small wave, and the wave got bigger. You guys see what I'm, where I'm going with this? There's a tolerance that has been built up so that when the adrenaline kicks in, the fear 
is put back into a healthy, normal place. So they experience the same amount of fear that we have when we're accomplishing moderate to difficult tasks, if that makes sense. Second, and I thought this was interesting, almost every extreme athlete was able to process and leave behind past traumas better than most. The, the, wing, the um, wing jumper, guys in that field or sport, uh, whatever it's called, extreme, uh, those, over 70% of those wing jumpers have seen someone crash and die. But they have the ability, more so than others, to put that behind them and set that aside to move on to keep jumping. They have the ability to leave past trauma behind. They understand that it's in the past, and just because it's in the past doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen again, especially if you learn. Next, one of the common traits for extreme athletes, they pay extreme attention to detail. Nothing goes overlooked, nothing goes unrehearsed, nothing goes unread, nothing goes unmeasured. You know, uh, I remember watching uh, one of those guys set up to jump across the Grand Canyon. That's not just something you up and do, right? They set up a ramp, and I remember watching the setup for this, and there was a guy out there with... A measuring stick and he was measuring every increment along the ramp because the math has to be perfect for the timing of this jump right every little detail is accounted for and they run through it and they run through it and they practice and they practice when we send somebody to space we don't just strap them in a rocket and say let's see if this works well, maybe early on they did. We don't anymore, right? We have people that sit there. They spend their whole lives doing calculations. It's the best of the best mathematicians in the world sit there, and they do calculations over and over and over again, and they test and test and test before they send anybody past floor three, right? Last, and not le- but not least, as these people's brains have been rewired, one of the common traits that they find in these extreme athletes is they have a unique ability to just make the decision, breathe and go. They find peace in the moment. Almost every athlete across the board take a deep breath, and go. And and so there's a sense there of stillness. There's a sense of calm in the midst of these amazing situations that they've put themselves in. The ability to let go of the jet ski on the big wave. The ability to just 
and jump off a mountain. The ability to just chug a Red Bull and go. Breathe and go. We've been, uh, we're talking about the Red Sea today. Let's go ahead and get to Exodus chapter 13. And, and we're going to mesh these things together here in a little bit. What I'd like to do is I'd like to give the story of what's happening with the Israelites as we come up to the Red Sea. So the story so far, Moses has been leading the Israelites. They have been promised freedom from slavery. They've been slaves for about 430 years. They've been building pyramids. They've been making bricks. They've been under the thumb and the whip and the rule of the Egyptians. The Egyptians cried out. God called Moses to lead. Moses has been leading the Israelites. The big highlight there, the Israelites and Egypt have experienced 10 plagues already. They've seen water turn into blood. They've had their fair share of frogs, lice, flies. They've watched their livestock die. They've dealt with boils and hail. They've dealt with locusts. They've dealt with darkness. And they've watched as the firstborn of every family that hasn't consecrated their doorway has passed. God tells the Israelites, it is time to pack up and go. And so that's where we catch up in this story. Exodus chapter 13, we're not going to read every passage. I encourage you to go back and read 13 and 14 and, and pick up some of the details we missed because this is a, a, a story that is rich in history, rich in detail of God's glory. And so we're just going to take a, a small snapshot of this story today. In Exodus 13, verse 4, God reminds the Israelites of the promises he has already given to deliver them to Canaan. In verse 17, God takes the Israelites the long way out of Egypt. And he does this because the short way to the promised land is through the Philistines and the Amalekites. And the Lord knows they're not ready for battle yet. They've been in slavery. They've been worked to death. They've packed light. They're ready to fight because they know the quickest way to Canaan is through the Philistines. And God says, no, I don't want you to, to see that army and want to turn back. So we're going to go the long way. Verses 19 and 22, God provides a pillar of fire by day and a cloud by night to guide the Israelites. A symbol, right, of his presence there and his protection and his guidance over his people as they embark on this amazing journey. Their lives are drastically changing and God is saying, I will put a constant symbol of my presence right here in front of you right here to guide you, all day, all night, for all million of you to see. We get to Exodus 14. In verses 2 and 3, God turns the Israelites around, kind of back on the uh, direction they were going, so that it, they look confused. The Egyptians see them wandering and they see them 
going in a circle, and the Egyptians are now confused as to what's going on. These people don't know what they're doing. I don't know if you've ever undertaken a big project and you'd had other people around you saying, I have no idea what you're doing. But it's a nice little point here to add. God intentionally puts the Israelites into a circle so that others look and see they, they look incapable. They look like they don't know what they're doing. They look like they're lost. They look like they're confused. In verse uh, chapter 14, 14 and verses 4 through 9, God hardens the Pharaoh's heart. The Pharaoh realizes the mistake that he has made of letting all of his workers go, all of his slaves go. He makes this realization. God has hardened his heart. He makes this realization. So he sends out 600 of his best chariots, plus the rest of his army, plus whatever else he has to go after the Israelites. Now, at this point, they've been gone for a while. They're camping out in the desert. They're a ways off. And so Pharaoh sends his army after them. When the time comes, verse 10 through 13, when the time comes where the Egyptians are on the precipice of of attack, that distance where they can attack the Israelites. The Israelites cry out, why did you bring us to the desert, Moses? It's because there weren't enough grave sites in Egypt. Like, what's going on here? Like, it'd be better for us to live as slaves than to die out here. And there's that moment of doubt there. Verse 13 Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 through 14. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. One of the hundreds of times that's said in the Bible. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. I don't know about you. If I see an army coming at me, I'm probably going to stand still. Mostly because I'm terrified. You've all seen movies like Lord of the Rings and all that kind of stuff where the, you know, the army comes over the hill and all that kind of stuff. The last thing on my mind at that point is stand still. Yet that's the command that Moses has for his people, right? The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Just breathe. Verse 15 through 18, God tells Moses to stretch his hands over the water and the Israelites will cross on dry land. And so that's what we see in verse 21 and 22. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night or over the course of the night, depending on your translation, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind 
and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The estimate is over a million people. A million people crossing through on dry land. What a scene. The Israelites are stuck between a rock and a hard place. An Egyptian army and an ocean. And in this momentous moment, God tells Moses, simply lift your arm. And over the course of the night, the walls of water are split, providing the impossible solution to the problem that the Israelites had. And so the Israelites do the impossible. They walk through on dry land. And this momentous occasion, they celebrate to this day. They come through... Uh, chapter 15 in Exodus is a beautiful, beautiful song they sing to celebrate God and to celebrate this crossing. Verse 23 through 25, God jams the wheels of Pharaoh's chariots. Moses is told in verse 26 to bring his hands down And the walls of the Red Sea come down. And over the course of the night, the entire Egyptian army is swallowed up into the sea. Verse 29 through 31. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and Moses and his servant. And so we have this amazing story of God's people crossing the Red Sea. And I look at this, and I say, this is amazing watching these, hearing this story of people walking through water. And the realization hits, there have been times in my life where I've been stuck between an army and an ocean. There are times in my life we've had momentous occasions. Some I was prepared for, some I wasn't. There are times where and I don't know, raise your hand if you've been there. You ever been in a rock in a hard place? Maybe you're there right now. So the question is, what do we learn here? And what we learn in this passage, one of the many things that we can learn, is how to cross a Red Sea. And I go back and I think through these extreme athletes. They're there in these momentous occasions. And and we talked about this, about how their brains have been rewired. And I think to myself, as Christians, as believers, 
when we get to these momentous occasions in our lives, what we realize is that our souls have been rewired. Amen? As believers, we're continually changing the way that we respond to God. We're continually growing and pushing ourselves. Amen? We're continually asking God to do bigger and greater things. We're watching God do amazing events. Some of them are difficult to live through. Some of us, some of them affect us, some of them affect others. But none of us are immune to seeing these difficulties that go on in our lives, amen? And so as we address these momentous occasions, we ask the question, how do we cross our Red Seas? First up. Practice following God in the little moments. Build up that tolerance. Build up that understanding. This is how God works in this situation. Okay? As the next challenge comes, all right, here's my experience with God. Last time, I didn't spend any time in prayer. This time I'm going to spend time in prayer. All right? We practice. We build up our relationship with God, as Jesus put it so well, so that we know the sound of the shepherd's voice when he comes near. Amen? We learn to speak God's language of love and presence. Second, how do we cross the Red Sea? We leave the past behind. Doesn't mean forget. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. But if you're going to cross the Red Sea, you're not taking all your stuff with you. In a little while, we're going to take communion. The communion bread that we have is unleavened, and it goes back to this moment, to this story. The Israelites had to pack so quickly that they didn't have time for the yeast in their bread to rise. And Scripture says they were carrying bread over their shoulders, kneading as they went. If we're going to cross the Red Sea, we're going to have to leave the past behind. I don't know. When I say this, I, I want you to understand I don't say this lightly. The Israelites have been through a lot of trauma. They've watched people die. They've gone through boils, hail, locusts, darkness, all of these plagues. They've had whips cracked at their back. They spent their entire lives making bricks to build kingdoms for other people. There's plenty of trauma in their lives. But this is a story of a fresh start. 
This is a story of a fresh beginning. There's an impossible situation, but there's a Red Sea for them to cross to begin anew. I don't know what the trauma is in your life, but my guess is it's there. If we're fully going to transform into a new life, if we're fully going to cross that Red Sea, we're going to have to leave those behind. Whatever that means, whatever that takes, that's a big part of this journey. It's a part of the journey that's still celebrated today. I don't say it lightly. I say that in the comfort of a community of believers, knowing that we all have those traumas. Some of those are shared traumas. Some of those are individual traumas. Some of those are unspoken traumas. But they're all there. And so if we're going to cross our Red Sea, God says, let's leave that behind. Take only what you need. Next up, listen closely to what God is saying. Pay attention to the details. Listen closely for the voice of God. There's a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of things that vie for our attention. But if we're going to take on the monumental moment, if we're going to take on the monumental task, we've got to pay close attention to what God is doing, to what God is saying. So we can hear his voice clearly. So that we can know this is where you cross. And lastly, as we are in the process of rewiring our soul, in the process of rewiring how we think, how we act and behave, how we respond to God, how we deal with difficult situations as we stand there between the army and the ocean. As we've put these things in place, as we've, as we've practiced following God, as we've left the past behind, as we, we pay attention to what the Lord is saying, we stand. And as the moment comes where it's our time to set foot on what should be an ocean. As we get ready to do the impossible and walk through on dry land, we breathe and go. As we hit, take a turn towards communion to celebrate Christ who put this into example in our lives as we break bread together and, and drink representation of Christ's blood together, I want to leave you with this question. What is your Red Sea? What's the moment that you've been standing there between the army and the ocean? 
Maybe you've had a few. He said, I've crossed my Red Sea. Here's how God delivered. I'm going to do what the Israelites did in Exodus 15, and I'm going to sing his praises all day long. Maybe you're walking through dry land right now. Maybe life has been a mess, and you said, nope, no more. I'm going to that new life, and you're walking through dry land right now. And so right now, you're looking at your feet going, this is amazing. Or maybe, maybe God's got you wandering a little bit. Maybe God's got you wandering around a little bit so that he can show who he is. So that when the time comes, when the time comes and the walls of the ocean of the sea split wide open, your ability to walk through Let's just breathe and go. And God, we're thankful for this time together. We're thankful for your son who died on the cross for our sins. God, that that means for us today, those moments, God, in our lives that are monumental, those extreme moments that, that frankly should terrify us. God, we bring them to you. We bring them to you through your son, we ask for prayer, God, that, that you would, would speak to us, that you would guide us, that you would be that pillar of fire, that, that cloud in front of us that would protect us and guide us. We pray that as we follow your son and as we break bread together, Lord, that we would celebrate those that have crossed. Lord, that the, we would help those that are crossing their Red Sea right now, Lord, and that we would hold a hand out God, that we would keep our arms up for those still on the shore waiting to cross. God, for all of those things, we say thank you for you and your son. In his holy name we pray. Amen.